It's all good to be with you guys this morning. I have a bounce in my step. I could hardly sleep last night because I couldn't wait to get to church to be with you. This is the family of God. We are the citizens in the gospel city church. And uh, this is like the family room. When we come together, we just get to talk about the things of God and we get to talk about what's going on in the family. And we are going to do that this morning. But every time the family gathers, the family room is open to anybody. You don't even have to be a part of the family. So that means every time the family gathers, we always have guests. And I've met guests here for the first time, the second time. And I feel for our guests sometimes because their head is like, what are these people doing? They're so jazzed up about Jesus and I'm not, they seem a little weird. We are, um, but uh, we want to invite you to be a part of us at some point. But I, I just want to kind of talk to you for a second. If you are a guest, and what I mean by that is um, you don't really consider this to be a part. You're, you don't really consider yourself to be a part of our church. Maybe you're checking things out. You're kicking the tires. You're doing some church window shopping maybe. Uh, or maybe the whole idea of church, Jesus, Bible is brand new to you. Please hear me. I had a guy who didn't hear this part of the sermon in the last service and didn't like the rest of the service. So please hear me. In just a few minutes, I'm going to start talking to the family. Before I talk to the family, I want to talk to you. So the family can not even pay attention to this part. I just want to talk to our guest. First of all, thanks for coming. Um, everybody that's part of the family was like you one day. You walked in, you took a risk, and here they are. They're all part of the family now. Um, let me. I want to front load the service to you. In the next 40 minutes, I want to tell you exactly what's going to happen, okay? So the first thing that's going to happen is I am going to say thank you to the family for being so generous, okay? So I'm gonna thank them for, for having the face to throw in money in the offering and to have a vision to build buildings like this and the ones that you're seeing. Hey, did you notice you drove into a construction zone this morning? Did everybody, that didn't miss you, all right? So um, we're in the middle of this building project and so I'm gonna say thank you to the family for helping us get that going. And then the second thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ask the family to open their Bibles to Exodus 35 See what's happening right now? The family is eavesdropping on our conversation and they're opening their Bibles to Exodus 35 right now because they know at some point we're going we're gonna to go through that. I'm going to walk through some, through some scripture there. Let me tell you what's going to be in the scripture. It is the first building project in the Bible. I'm going to teach about three application points out of that particular scripture. And then here's the last thing I'm going to do. Okay, I want to prepare you for this. Don't tell the family, but here's what's going to happen. At the end of the service... I am going to boldly, unapologetically ask the family to give some of their money to finish the building project, okay? Don't tell them, okay? Because it'll, it'll be the appropriate point at the time, okay? Now, I want you to understand, I'm not going to ask you for that. I'm asking the family for that. So, here's what the family would like you to hear. Our church has never been passionate about building projects. We are not passionate about buildings. What we are passionate about is the message that we preach in the building and the message that we are sent out into the community from the building. That message is something we call the gospel, okay? We love the gospel so much we named our whole church after it, the Gospel City Church, okay? So here's the gospel and here's the message that the family wants the guests to hear. You are a sinner, 
did he just call me a sinner? Yes, he did. And the reason he called you a sinner is because God is holy. Do you know how holy God is? God is so holy that he is offended by all of our sin and it creates this gap between us. But God is so gracious and loves sinners like you and me so much. He sent his son to live a life that was acceptable to God and to die a death to pay the penalty for my sin so that if I will stop trusting in my goodness and start trusting in Jesus' goodness, I can be made right with God and no longer offensive to him, but acceptable to him and as pleasing to him as his own son was. That's the gospel. And that's what all these buildings and all the army of volunteers around here working so hard to get that message to people like you the same way it came to me when I was 15 years old, the first time it made any sense to me. And I leaned in and I listened and it, it was an absolutely life-changing event for me. So that's what we're asking God to do in all of us. We're going to preach the gospel to ourselves, but we want you to hear that message and we want you to buy into that message and lean into that message. So I don't know what you think this church is about. That's what this church is about. It's not about buildings. It's not about a construction project. It's not about politics and any other controversial issue. It is about the gospel. And if you don't believe the gospel, it doesn't matter anything else that's going on here. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to all to bow our heads right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed, family, non-family, guest, everybody bow your heads. All right, so here's what just happened in the last couple of minutes. The Holy Spirit of God just stirred the hearts of some people. You just heard the most fascinating message. You, you got called a sinner, and yet you got told that God is gracious to sinners like you. And if you will turn from your sin, put faith in Christ, you can be a part of the family of God. Not, not about joining a church, but just being acceptable to God so that you can have a forever home in heaven. Do you believe that message? Does it, maybe even some of the family that's not really family, you need to believe the message right now. So would you open your heart and believe the gospel? Stop trusting in yourself, your religion, your family, your goodness. Trust in Jesus. Lord, I pray that your message that you have built this church to preach would penetrate cold, dead hearts this morning and you would awaken them, resurrect them to the reality of grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now listen. If you're a guest and that's the first time you heard that message and it's the first time you believe that message, we got pastors down here. They're really nice. They're not that threatening. And you could come to them at the end of the service. We could keep the conversation going. And we'd love to answer your questions about all that, okay? So now, guest, would you allow me to talk to the family for a few minutes? All right, I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking to the family. I, guest, is it okay? Like, all right. Good. All right. So here's the deal. Family, we need to talk about generosity and we need to talk about what's going on with all of the construction around here. Okay. So we're going to dive into that. And I want you to see the very first building project in the second book of our Bible. It's the book of Exodus beginning in chapter 35. Before we read it, let me set the context. Remember the children of Israel, God's people had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They're there because they were disobedient to God. And God, after 400 years, graciously 
provides a way out. He frees them from their slavery. They come out under the blood, representing the blood of Jesus. He saves through his blood and through the judgment, uh, through the waters, the Red Sea. So they find themselves on the other side of the Red Sea. Remember Moses who went to Pharaoh? What, what was Moses, Pharaoh, Moses' conversation with Pharaoh? What did he say? Let my people go so that they can what? So they can worship God unhindered by the slavery in Egypt. And so God puts a little pressure on Pharaoh, opens up the door, and a million, maybe two million of God's people are free for the first time to worship him. They're on the other side of the Red Sea. That picks up the story in Exodus 35, where we read in verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing. Don't you love it when somebody says, like, this is the thing. All right, this is the thing. This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart. Underline those two words. Whoever is of a generous heart. Let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze. All right, now wait a minute. Three days ago, these guys were slaves in Egypt. Where are they going to get gold, silver, and bronze? Anybody know? Where'd they get the gold, silver, and bronze? They got it. Did they steal it? No, God gave it to them. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you believe God could have found a way for the gold, the silver, and the bronze to get on the other side of the Red Sea without being carried out by the people of God? Think he could have done that? But here's what God did. God put the gold, the silver, and the bronze in the hands of the people of God, and they brought it with them to the place where then God asked them to take it out of their hands and put it in his hand. They were just simply the delivery system. And everything that the Lord wanted, he had already provided. He'd already put it in their hands. And they, 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 that wasn't their stuff. They, they might say, well, it was the Egyptian stuff, but really it was God's stuff, right? And he just put it in their hands. They brought it, and then the Lord says, I want it. And why did he want it? Pick up the story in verse 10. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle. Underline the word tabernacle. That's what the Lord wanted to build. This was the building project, the tabernacle. Its tents and its coverings, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars, its bases. And it goes on and on and on and on. It goes into very intricate detail about how this tabernacle was to be constructed, what it was to be made of, how it was to be decorated, the furniture that was supposed to be even in there, even down to the clothing of the people that were going to come into the tabernacle is articulated in the next five chapters of Exodus. So what is this tabernacle that the Lord wouldn't built? I have a picture of it here. It was the actual picture that was taken 4,000 years ago. Uh, back that up a little bit. And uh, here's the outside of it. Actually, I just pulled this out of my ESV study Bible, which you're supposed to have already, right? Because you've heard me mention that. And here's the tabernacle. And it's just basically a tent mechanism. It's, it's portable church. It's the first portable church um, in the Bible. And they, they set it up. They tear it down because they were wandering, right, for 40 years in the wilderness. So they took church with them. They took 
took the apparatus with them. And it's, it wasn't very big. The whole outline of that is about the, the diameter of this room. And um, if you'll notice, it has some inner pieces in there. There's some furniture. There's a place to wash because you wanted to come clean into the, the, the presence of God. And then finally, you got into the holding place. You show that next picture there. A very ornate, beautiful place where they would meet with God. You can go to the next picture. And um, this is the place, the only place on planet Earth that God authorized human beings to come into his presence. Can you imagine? There was only one place on planet Earth that God welcomed people into his presence. And it was right inside that. They're trying to find the image right now because it was there in the other two services. I assure you it's there. And, and, and so we look at that as like, this is a very important place. It's the meeting place. God loved his people so much. He wanted to meet with them at a very specific place. And yet the Lord said, I want you to build it with what you have with what you have in your hands, with what I put in your hands, with everything I've already given you, I want you to provide this place, this meeting place. And so they gave the contribution. Skip down here to verse 20. It says, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, verse 21. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him. Now, I want you to notice, we're going to pick up a theme here as we walk through this. God wants gifts that are given from the heart. God only wants gifts that are given from a generous heart. God neither needs nor wants gifts that are given begrudgingly. You know what that does for me as a pastor? It frees me from the temptation to manipulate you, to put a guilt trip on you, to try to pry some money out of your hands, to try to get it into the hands of the Lord, because God don't, doesn't want anything that's not given from the heart. He wants gifts that are given from a heart of love, a heart that loves God and loves God's work. And so he invites those whose heart is stirred. And then Verse 21, everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the congregation, brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all of its service and for the holy garments. Verse 22, so they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing, what's that word? Heart. From the inside out, not pressure from the outside in. They brought their brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects. They were, they were looking good until God asked for the offering. All right. And then they kind of went backwards a step. It says, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. Now skip down to verse 29. All the men and women, people of Israel. I love the fact that it says all the men and the women. Notice generous hearts are not just feminine. Typically, women have a heart to give. And, and notice it's like, we got men and women that are 
giving from a generous heart, a heart that loves the Lord and loves his work. All the men and women, verse 29, the people of Israel whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. I want to summarize what we just read. Notice the heart of generosity. Everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved in him, all who were of a willing heart, whose heart moved him, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Do you ever hear some, some of our people up here, when we, when, sometimes we make a mistake up here. I've done it. Like It's time to take the offering. Listen, if you take it, it's not an offering. That's robbery, okay? It's time to receive the offering because that's freely given, right? So this is what God wants from his people. Very specific project he wanted done, but he didn't want it coming from anybody who didn't have a heart for it. And let me just say at the beginning of this message, God only wants those who have a generous heart to give toward the made-for-more project so we can get this, this facility where it needs to be. That's God's message to us from this passage. Now I want you to notice how it finishes. Go into chapter 36, just uh, verses 1 through 7 really quick. Got a couple of construction workers mentioned here. Bazael and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put the skill. How'd they get the skill? The Lord put it in their mind. They didn't even have the skill. It was an external alien skill the Lord put in their mind. And he's put that in you too, if you have any skill. Everyone whose heart was stirred up in him to do the work of the Lord. Verse 3. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. And they still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task in the sanctuary came and each from the task he was doing and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work of the Lord as he commanded us to do. Verse 6, and Moses gave command. The word was proclaimed throughout the camp. New rule, new rule in among the people of God. Here's the new rule. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. When's the last time you heard the preacher say that? Like, oh, it's usually the other way around. New rule, everybody get money, right? Man, these people had such a generous heart. They were so collective. They were bringing so much more. Then it says, so the people were restrained from bringing. In our culture, we have laws restraining people from taking. In their culture, they had rules restraining people from giving. Verse 7, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work. And then there's two more words. And more. Generous hearts understood they were made for more. 
They wanted a meeting place where they could meet with God. They wanted to give in response to all that God had given to them. Their motive for giving was that they'd been set free. God had been so good giving them more than they deserved. They had no problem as a generous heart stirred up to give it all back to God. That is the only kind of contribution the Lord needs or wants from his people. Does everybody understand that they had a choice? God put stuff in their hands and then our greedy little hands have a trip to have a, a tendency to grip onto things that get into them, right? But because their hearts controlled their hands, they opened their hands. They had a decision to make. Would they, would they use their wealth to worship God or would they worship their wealth as their God? And the same choice they had we have. Will we use our wealth to worship God or will we worship our wealth as our God? That's why Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. He'll either serve God or money, can't be both. And our hearts have a tendency to look to our wealth to do things only God can do because money, money talks. Did you know that? This is what it says. I'll make you happy. I'll bring you significance. I'll bring you security. And it lies to you because only God can make you happy. Only God can bring you security and significance. And so we have a choice. Every time God puts something in our hands, we have to be on guard not to worship it. And yet we learn from this story that God can use our wealth to build a place of worship in our lives. Does everybody understand God doesn't need a building? Does everybody, everybody understand that? I mean, Solomon prayed when he, after he built the temple, he said, uh, Lord, uh, you, the heavens, the highest heavens cannot contain you, much less this temple, this house that I've built. God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, right? I mean, he doesn't dwell in here. I'm praying that he's here. We've cultivated his presence and our singing. We've invited him to come. We welcome him here, but you can experience God anywhere. That's why Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. And that's, that works great in a church of two or three. What do you do in a church that has two or three hundred or two or three thousand now you have to think about the meeting place and you have to be responsible for the opportunity there. But God doesn't need a place. As a matter of fact, the, the New Testament shines light on this story and teaches us this. Jesus is our true and better tabernacle. We don't need a tent to take with us. We don't even need a property here. We don't need these things. We don't need the made for more project. Yes, the preacher just said that in church at the risk of you mishearing what I'm saying. But understand, Jesus is the meeting place. We have access to God the Father through Jesus. He's the priest. He's the offering. He's the tabernacle. He's the temple. He's the true and better meeting place gives us access to God. That's the truth of this story. But we also see these principles about incredible generosity. God doesn't need a place of worship, but his worshipers do. He instructed them very specifically how they were to build a place where they would meet with him. Jesus had 12 disciples. Did they meet with him? Yeah, did they have a building? 
No, they just followed him around. You got 12 people, they'd borrow things, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd go out by the sea. They got in a boat, you know, that was a meeting place. But then that 12 grew to about 120. We get to the book of Acts and 120 met, met in an upper room. So it's a big room, 120. Then, then they started multiplying. They had like 3,000 people at one point, maybe 5,000 people at another point. Where are these people going to meet? They didn't all meet together at the same time. They worshiped in shifts. Sound familiar? Yeah. They went from house to house. They met in synagogues. They, they preached in the open square. And then persecution came and they scattered in little pockets of the church were found in the most powerful places at the time. And the New Testament ends there with the church being very small. And yet it began to grow. It began to have some favor and Christians could own property and Christians could build things. And since that time, there's been small churches, big churches, mega churches. Most of the world's churches today meet in secret because they do not have the privileges that you and I have and the freedom that we have. They meet underground. They meet in homes where they can't let people know because they would be disbanded. And so we are privileged to live in a place where we can use what God has placed in our hands to offer something to God, to build a meeting place with him. And when we talk about generosity, yeah, I know people get nervous. The preacher's trying to get me to give money. No, 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 no. Listen, all we're doing is the same thing we talk about here every week. Generosity is a discipleship issue. We're talking about taking a step I'm challenging you, take a step in your discipleship. No matter how far you've come or maybe you've stalled or maybe you've been going backwards, take a step in discipleship. Because where there is no generosity, there has been no discipleship. And I do not want to fail us in offering you a pathway in your discipleship to take a step in your generosity. You understand what we're talking about? We said disciple, we've, we've defined this, right? A disciple is a Christ learner. I learn Christ, not, not about Christ. I learn to live like Christ. I learn to give like Christ. How did Christ give? He gave all. So a Christ learner who follows Jesus, a disciple is a Christ learner. Discipleship, another word, is helping someone take their next step in living like Jesus. Third term, disciple factory. Do you know what a disciple factory is? That's a church. Because churches make disciples. Our church is a disciple-making church that creates discipleship pathways to encourage disciples to do what? Take a step. You've been following along, right? So this is nothing but a disciple factory. All we do around here is make disciples. Now, over the course of the last few years, there's been more disciples, and the space has been, we've needed some more space. We, we never want to get to a place where the disciple factory is constraining the disciple making. So this is one of the reasons for the Made for More project. We simply want to be faithful to what God has called us to do in making disciples. So if you want to take a step and have a heart for discipleship, I want to encourage you to do three things real quick. Number one, give ownership of everything you have to God. Do you own a sock? Question, how many of you own a sock? Give it to God. You say, I don't think it's his size. Just give it to God. Just give it to God. He may give it back. He probably will. He probably doesn't want your sock, right? He may. I don't know. Give a sock. You, how many of you own a fork? Give the fork to God. You own a car? 
Give the car to God. You own a house? Give the house to God. You own a business? Give the business to God. Get to the place where you own nothing. All you are is God's manager of stuff he's put in your hand. Transfer the ownership of everything you have to God. The owner gets to, to decide what he does with the stuff, right? Let me put it this way. Let's say, uh, how many of you um, have a, uh, an account at a local bank? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Raise your, some of you are like, I'm in church. I am not letting that secret out that I got money in a bank somewhere, right? I know where you're going with this. No, listen, most of us do. You have, a, you have a bank account somewhere. Let's say you walk into your local bank tomorrow and you need to withdraw some of your money from your bank. You fill out a withdrawal slip. You slide it across to the teller. Teller looks at it. Just a minute, goes and has a discussion in a back room with the, the manager. You see them talking, like, what are they talking about? And they both come back to the teller window and they say, you know, we really like your money. As a matter of fact, we're using your money. And um, you can come back in a couple of weeks, ask for it again, and and we'll think about it, but today you cannot have your money. Question, how many of you are going to put any more of your money in that bank? Oh, no, why not? Because this bank does not understand I'm the owner. That's my money, and I can do with my money whatever I want to do with my money. Do you understand the principle? You and I are God's bank. He has put some of his money into our bank accounts. And whenever he walks up to the teller window and fills out a withdrawal slip and says, I want to move some of my money to, from this account to that account, if you stand there and say, but God, I really like your money. I have big plans for your money. I, I'm, I, as a matter of fact, I've, I've overspent your money. I'm actually in debt to your, your money. Now listen, now do you, how, here's, here's the real issue. How much of God's money do you think he's going to entrust into you in the future? If you don't get the principle, you're not the owner. You are the manager. You are the bank. And wherever God wants to transfer his money, we just simply say, yes, sir, and move his money so that he can entrust us with more of his money when he wants. Here's the second thing. Make giving a priority. Seems like a simple principle. It is simple. Most people do not get hung up in generosity because they don't want to give. I, I'm sure I'm looking at people, you have a heart to give. It's like, oh, I wish I could give. How many of you wish you could give more? How many of you wish you could give more? I, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. Right, like, I see that hand. But why don't we? It's not because we're not, not, it's not because we're stingy. It's because we have poor planning. This is the way we live our lives. On default mode, we get money. So you work a job, you get a paycheck, you spend it. If, you, if there's anything left over, might save a little bit. If there's anything left over after that, well, now I might tithe on what's left over. That is the wrong order. When you make a, a giving a priority, you put God first. You, how many of you are anticipating getting paid in the next week or two? Raise your hand. Raise your, I keep I keep recording these. I see you. All right. So you're going to get paid. Here's the thing. Before you spend any of it, 
before you save any of it. Give to God first. If there's anything left over after you give some to God, save some. If there's anything left over after you save some, live on that. Because God doesn't want your leftovers. You, you invite someone to your home, you don't feed them the leftovers. You feed them the best, the first. You give the kids the leftovers for crying out, right? So here's the thing. If you put God first in your finances, he will make sure there are plenty of leftovers for you to live. Here's the last thing. Make it a priority and then give with predetermination. So you said you're planning on getting paid. Have you already planned on what you're going to do with the money that you get paid? You have to decide now. The time to decide what you're going to do with the money is not when you get it. It's before you get it. So in the Old Testament, there's patterns. You've heard the principle of tithing, 10%. That's a, that's a model. It's, it's basically just saying a percentage. Why don't you decide now what percentage of, of God's money you're going to give back to him because he graciously allows you to keep most of it most of the time. And sometimes he asks you to give it all. But giving a percentage reminds me that it all belongs to God. And so that percentage, and then I predetermine now what I'm going to do. And so this, it's like, okay, I, this, here's my annual income. Have you, do you even know what you gave last year? You can track that. Call the church office. We'll help you. And you, some of you would like look at your giving regs like, is that all I gave? Yeah, that's it right there. And uh, so you're like, wow, I think God would really be pleased with that. We all want to get to the place where like God is pleased. We don't have to live with the guilt trip. We can have God's blessing on us. So the heart of generosity. So we are talking obviously about um, how the Lord wants to use our heart of generosity to meet the needs around here. And as we do, I want you to lean in for a minute. Those of you that are part of the family, may little family home movie here for you. Watch this. Church has been miraculously placed in this little cornfield in northern Indiana by God to feed the spiritual hunger in this community. Do we really understand how absolutely vital our church is to our community? What would happen in our community if our church ceased to exist? How would the hungry get fed? Like the boy who gave his lunch to Jesus, when we actually put what we have in the hand of Jesus, he multiplies it to feed thousands of hungry people. Jesus uses what we have to meet the needs of the spiritually hungry all around us. But will we trust him with it? The discipleship pathway we are on continues when we take a step in our generosity. Sacrificial giving is the external evidence of our internal trust that Jesus is enough. Giving tangible resources to Jesus is the essence of trust in Jesus. When we give out of our abundance to meet the needs of others while trusting that Jesus will provide for us when we have a need, we are demonstrating true discipleship. Generosity is not so much about meeting a need as it is about our need to give. As disciples, we must learn to loosen our grip on things that falsely promise security in order to express our reliance and dependence upon Him. This church is a miracle. 
From its beginnings, disciples have given generously to build a church where spiritually hungry people are fed. the Made for More campaign, believing the Lord would be pleased for us to expand our facility for more disciple-making ministry. Generous disciples brought loaves and fishes and placed them in Jesus' hands. Hundreds of families and individuals have already given or made a three-year pledge above and beyond their regular giving to meet the need. Now, we're so close to seeing God finish the miracle. Are you a part of the miracle? Is it time for you to take another step in your generosity? If you have found Gospel City Church to be a trusted place of spiritual nourishment, join us in placing what you have in Jesus' hands so others can be fed. You may say, it's not much, but Jesus is not limited by what we have. Jesus will multiply what we have when we place it in His hands, and He's been doing it ever since this church started. that? Do you believe we're made for more? I believe we are. And uh, a couple of years ago, our elders and the leadership team, our pastors, we went before the Lord and we said, Lord, are we done? Are we, is this it? Is this, is, this, is this our tool? Is this our factory? Or are we made for more? And we felt like the Lord said to us, no, we need, we need to do more. And so you're seeing the, the, the construction, you're seeing uh, the, the, the expansion of this facility, which is a disciple factory. All we're doing are things that make disciples. It's all we're doing. And so I'm so grateful that 10 years ago, those 13 disciples that were meeting in Bob Hogarth's basement, they looked at each other and it's like, you think this is it? We're going to be in the meet in the basement? No. They believe they were made for more. And so um, the rest of us showed up and, and we started a little church at North Point Elementary School and we grew to about 300 people there. And while that was happening, there were people here on this property um, that kind of dwindled down to about 50 people. And they asked the question, are we done? Is this it? Are we going to sell the property? They, they believed they were made for more. And they contacted the people in the gym. And the people in the gym said, I think that would be an upgrade for us. And so we leaned into this property that used to look like that. And we moved in. We realized it's kind of tight in here already. And so we decided, I think the Lord would be pleased if we blew out that wall. See the seam up there? Blew that wall and put this thing in here so there were 600 seats available and 601 people showed up on the first day and we had to ask the question, are we made for more? And we said, yeah, I think we're made for more because all these people are making babies fast. We're making disciples. We, do, we make two things, babies and disciples around here. So it's like, are we done? We're just gonna cram the kids in here with us or do we need to make a, a space for children's discipleship and student discipleship and men and women and all that space over there? And so we, we made room for more and now we're up to four services and how many more services are we gonna have before the preacher and Micah fall over. And what, are we made for more? We're, we're planting churches. We're sending people to St. Joe. We're sending people to Elkhart. And while we're investing in missions and planting churches, we believe the Lord has made us for more. And so about 18 months ago, we announced to you 
um, a project that we entitled Made for More. Let me give an update to you on that. It was about a $7 million project. In just a few months, we're going to move into something that looks like this. And you're going to drive on the church parking lot and you're going to see that. And that's going to be our new 1100 seat worship center. We've already opened up the new uh, office area. If you haven't had time to go breeze through that, it's just a beautiful place that our, our pastors and, and staff can work to make disciples and we are not stacked on top of each other anymore. That's what it's going to look like probably around June of 2020 and we're going to walk in there and we're, we're going to have a new meeting place with God. And uh, God doesn't need it, but we do. And can you imagine 1,100 voices lifting high the name of Jesus in that place? Can you imagine how much better I'm going to preach in there? And how much better you're going to listen? And how the gospel is going to so impact your life that you would repent of sin and and you would bring your friends to that place and they would hear the gospel and give their hearts to Jesus. Can you imagine? We're going to have some of those babies that we dedicated last week. They're going to meet in that room and they're going to fall in love in that room and I'm going to get to marry them in that room and then they're going to they're be able to invite their friends to your funeral. You're going to have your funeral in that room, some of you. And uh, no, it's a good thing. You'll be in heaven. You'll be having a great day. You don't need a, you don't need a meeting place anymore. You're in the presence of Jesus, all right? For all of us down here, we got to meet in there. So that's going to be a place that is going to be a gospel outpost. It's nothing but a distribution center for the gospel. And we said it's about a $7 million project. Let me, let me tell you why we believed we needed to do that, because we have a responsibility to our church family. The first 10 years of Andrea and I's marriage, we had four kids in those 10 years. During the entire 10 years, we lived in an RV travel trailer. It was about 400 square feet, six people. It was the only home we had. 10 years into my marriage, God met with me and said, dude, you need to provide a home for your family that is more conducive to your goals. And I sense the same thing. We are cramming people in here. We're bumping into one another. You're mad at each other in the parking lot because you're bumping into each other out there. We're just, people say, are you just trying to build a big church? We already are a big church. We're trying to build a facility to meet the needs of the big church family. And so we're not trying to do anything or be anything but faithful disciple makers and do what God's called us to do. And so we're excited about the responsibility to our family. We have responsibility to our city. We are gospel city church. Do you know what that means? We're a church. We're a city within a city. We're a city that is sent to a city. And we are a city that is longing for a better city. We, there are thousands of people in this city who have yet to hear the gospel. And we want them all to hear the gospel. They're not all going to come, but we can invite them. If we've got more room to, part, uh, to invite them and they don't get mad at us on the parking lot, how, how much better is it going to be if the only thing that offends them is the gospel and not the facility? That's the goal. And so we've got a responsibility to our city. I had a lady come to me a few months ago, and she, she'd, only been, she'd only come a couple of times. This was before the construction. And she said to me, this is her first conversation to me. She said, you know, my last church was in a building program, and it was a mess. 
and people were fussing and fight with each other. She's like, I just got to, I just, I'm like, I'm, I'm leaving. She left her church because they were in a facility expansion campaign. And she came here and she heard me preach and she was so happy. She came to me and she's like, I was so happy because I realized this church would never need a building program when I heard you preach. Now, what she meant by that was, she said, all you do is open the Bible and whatever controversial issue is in there, you deal with it. You just tell people whatever the Bible says about sexuality, that's what it says. And that's God's demand on your life. She's like, I knew nobody would come to a church like that. And then she's looking around like, but the people keep coming and it's growing. It's like, yes, do you know what you're understanding is there is a famine for the word of God in our city. And sadly, church, we're not the only church that's preaching the gospel, but sadly, they're becoming few and far between. We are a church that wants to get the gospel to our city. And we've got a responsibility to do it because we're ambassadors called to the city. And we have a responsibility to the Lord. We want to represent him well. We want to be people of faith. And we want to meet with him. He wants to meet with us. This is ultimately not about our church. It's not about the city. It is ultimately about the Lord. He wants glory coming. He wants Christ exalted. He wants all the honor, all the worship. He wants, to, he wants you to acknowledge all of his wisdom, all of his beauty, and we're going to do it in that place. So here is the current situation. $7 million project. Here's the deal. We're 18 months in to a three-year campaign. There's been over $4 million given to that need. That, I'll back that up. There's time to clap. Okay, you do that again. There's already been $4 million given to that need, which means this, to complete that worship center, we need $1.9 million, okay? Now, we could go to the bank. We, banks are standing in line waiting to loan us that money. If we'll pay it back with interest and, you know, give more than we borrowed, right? So we can do that. Right, I want to let you know through all of everything I've just said, we're still debt-free as a church, okay? <laughs> Until next month. Because we're going to need to enter into a short-term building loan, all right? Now, listen, the size of that loan and the rate at which it's paid back is going to depend on how you respond to this message, okay? We need $1.9 million. This is what I want to ask you to do. When you walked in, there was a card in your seat. Did everybody see it? Pull out the card. Everybody pull the card out. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to do three things. Number one, pray. Pray like crazy. And your first opportunity to play, pray like crazy is tonight at 6 o'clock. Come back to this place at 6 o'clock. We're going to pray like crazy that the Lord would meet that need. We're going to pray for our own hearts. God, honestly, I get a little fearful when um, I'm thinking about giving money away because i got lots of plans for your money, and I don't know if I can live without it. I need you to do a, a, a work in my heart. This is how we pray, that God would transform our heart and give us a heart of generosity. And then after you've prayed, number two, determine what part you're going to play, okay? And so I'm going to ask you to do two things. Number one, on November the 17th, that's four weeks from today, I want you to bring this card back with a gift, 
with, with a cash gift. Everybody can give something. It doesn't matter if it's $10. It doesn't matter if it's $1,000. We need some $10,000. We need some $100,000, okay? No gift is too small. No gift is too big. If, by the way, if you got the $100,000, we need to talk. So, um, or you can talk to some, somebody better that's got more wisdom than I do on that, okay? But seriously, this is the way God's going to meet the need because God puts different portions in, other, in different people's hands. And, and some of you have got big hands and you got big portions. And the question is, what do you want your life to count for? What do you want to, what do, you want to do with that? What do you want to be known for? What's your legacy going to be, right? So pray, determine what you're going to give, and then thirdly, bring the card back on November the 17th. Now, I'm talking to two groups of people. First of all, I'm talking to people who were here 18 months ago, and you gave a gift then, and you made a three-year pledge. What do I want you to do with the card? Fill out the card and bring it back and let us know what, what your immediate gift is and what your pledge is. Now, you may just say, I'm just going to continue my pledge the way it was. And you may have, let's say you have 12 months left on your pledge. Just fill it out. I've got 12 months at this rate. That's what you can count on me for. If you want to just keep that, just, just say what, what it has been. If, if you want to increase it, you have permission to do so. If you want to decrease it, Talk to me. Um, you, no, you, you have permission to do that too. But what we need is you to communicate to us what the Lord has communicated to you, what you're going to do over the next 36 months. Some of you have given. There were 238 households that gave, that made pledges for Made for More. There's a lot more than 238 households that call this place your church. That means that when we did this the first time around, you either weren't able or your heart wasn't moved, or you weren't here, and now's your opportunity to throw in. You've been blessed by this church. You're finding this is a place where your family is learning to follow Christ together, and you want to make room for more people to do the same. And you, you haven't been a part of what's gone on in the past, but you believe we're made for more. Fill out the card. Bring it back November the 17th. That's four weeks from today. On November the 24th, we'll count the numbers and I cannot wait to be the one to restrain you from giving anymore because more than enough has been provided, $1.9 million. Now, there is this lovely little thing here because there are a few other things that aren't in that, that price tag, and it's things like renovating this space. What happens when we no longer meet in this room and this room is available for something else? We didn't budget for that. What if we could make some classrooms for children and fellowship space and, and commons area? We could do all kinds with this space if we can repurpose it. We haven't planned for that. Remodeling the old offices that we moved out of, fire suppression. Everybody look up. Anybody notice anything new? You got, you got new pipes up there. If you start a fire in here, you will be suppressed. Okay? <laughs> we put that in this week. You know how much that was? $100,000. By code, it's required because we're about ready to punch through that wall. And as soon as you punch through that wall, this place has to have fire suppression, $100,000. We didn't budget for that, but it's necessary. So we had to put it in there. Um, rebuilding the garage that we tore down. And then how many of you would like to have a covered driveway so that when you come in the winter and your children and family are trying to get in, you're not sliding everywhere. That's not in the budget either. But it could be if I could on November the 24th announce to you there was $2.2 million given or pledged. And then there's this, if you don't like parking in the mud, <laughs> we didn't plan on paving the back 
parking lot. But if you would like a nice paved asphalt parking lot, that's another $300,000. So I would like you to join me in praying for $2.5 million in new gifts and pledges communicated to us on November the 17th on or before. And then I would love to announce that to you on November the 24th. Did I say that right? Something like that. Would you stand with me right now? If you have questions about that, if you'd like to have personal conversation, I was joking about that, but we'd love to sit down with you. If you need help in planning that or, or knowing how you can distribute things, we, we've got people that can talk to you about those things. Would you bow your heads and let's just ask God to do what only he can do. Father, this is your church. We are called to reach this city. We want to be faithful. We don't want to go too far ahead of you. We don't want to slide too far behind you. We just want to take the next step. And I pray for people here that have never joined you in that discipleship journey of generosity. Give them a heart, stir their heart, move their heart. I pray that they would have a free will to give as you've directed. And we'll trust you for the result. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You are loved.